Hi, it's uh, great to be here again. I love coming here. It's always good to love coming to Launceston for a start, but coming to the church here at Dora Hope, it's great. And thank you for the invitation back. Thanks, Steve, for, for that and for uh, the opportunity to be here. And uh, Steve said, I, am, um, I work with Compassion, the CEO of Compassion in Australia, and I just want to say thank you for the difference you guys make. I know you have projects in, in, in the Philippines particularly where you take trips there and you, one, I believe, just early this year and another one next year. When you go and see what you do and the work you do there is extraordinary. And the difference you make in the lives of kids and their families is, 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 is amazing. That, uh, you know, you provide health care and food security and education and clean water and link them in with a local church like this one where they hear the hope and the good news of Jesus. That's what we call holistic child development. And you're making a difference, and I don't want you to underestimate the difference um, you make. So it's good to be here. Steve said I was going to talk on Jesus is compassion. That would be almost a bit too predictable for me. So I'm actually going to talk about Jesus is momentum, which is amazing considering some of the things Steve's just said. So uh, um, me not loving predictability, I'm going to go for Jesus is momentum. And it's an amazing thing to think about that what is momentum and why is it important? But I want us to pray and then we'll kind of get stuck in to see what God might say to us. Father, we thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus is unstoppable and a relation with him is so significant. It's life-changing, it's transforming. And Father, we thank you for that and we pray that you will um, speak to us now by your word and by your spirit that will make a difference in our lives and we will be different because of it. Father, take which is extraneous and uh, just uh, bring what is um, meaningful and rich to each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Momentum's a funny thing and, and why I want to talk about that is I think for us as believers in Jesus, it's really important because sometimes we lose momentum. Why it's important for momentum in life and faith is because sometimes, if we're honest, as followers of Jesus, we get stuck. We get to a point in our faith where things are flying well, and then we get stuck, and we lose this thing called momentum. Or sometimes we live in our faith kind of between, in the highlight reel. We love the exciting bits where God is working. And we can think about those and we reflect on those and we love them and, and we see where God has worked and we rejoice and we celebrate. But sometimes those exciting bits, that highlight reel, there's too much in between. The intermission's too big. You may even be here today and you're thinking, you know what, I, I'm, I'm thinking about giving this away. That'd be terrible, but you might be thinking that because the intermission's huge. And if I had to say to you, when's the last time you really saw God at work? If you have to think back too far, then you, you, you've got to say, I, I need some momentum in my faith. I need something that keeps going. The dictionary defines momentum this way. It says it's a quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and velocity or its size and its pace. Also says it's the impetus gained by a moving object. comes from the Latin word to move. I'm talking about a faith that moves as opposed to a faith that stands still or is static or immobile. That's what I mean by momentum. And it's crucial because in business and in, um, in science, they talk about momentum as this flywheel. It's something that just keeps turning. And when it gets to a certain place, it turns almost by itself. You see it in sport. I don't know how many people watching the Commonwealth Games, but 
you see even over the last few days as they've begun a few days ago, you can just watch some nights and you know when someone is competing, they've got a momentum about them and it's going to be a big deal if they get beaten because they just some of them just get in the pool or on the track or, or wherever they might be and you just know they're doing so well, they've got a momentum. I'm hesitant to, uh, to talk about cricket, but <laughs> when we were in the Ashes series a little while ago when cricket was good, we had a momentum. You'd get to certain places in the test match and they, were, they could have gone either way and you just knew that the Aussies had a momentum about them that would get them over that and they generally did. Now they generally don't. <laughs> you, you know, well, momentum's a funny thing because when you have momentum, you actually look better than you are. And when you don't have momentum, you actually look worse than you are. Same is true in your faith. If we have this sort of sense of God is with us and we're there, you can actually trust God for the next step and the next step and the next step and you're, you're in motion. But if, if you don't, you're kind of stuck and you're passive and you stay there and nothing much happens. And I want us to talk a little bit today about that momentum and, and how, do we, how do we develop that, how do we build it, how, do we, how does it manage. And I want to share some thoughts with you. It would be really easy to go, here's 10 steps to momentum. You could write a book, you could write a pamphlet, you could, you know, one, two, three. I don't have that for you today. I want to share three thoughts with you. They're thoughts that are kind of evolving in me and developing in me as well as I think about this thing called faith momentum. Jesus is momentum. What does it mean for us? You know, the Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. You're not transformed by the renewing of your heart. You're saved by the renewing of your heart. But your life changes as God impacts your mind and it affects your spirit and, and it affects what you do and your actions. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so if, I can, if we can have some thoughts that might help us in this process of developing faith momentum, I hope they help you. If they don't, tell me afterwards and I'll be gone. <laughs> First one is this. Just ensure, ensure you are living a new covenant faith. I want to explain that a bit more. A new covenant faith. You know, for hundreds, thousands of years, in fact, the people of God lived in this thing called the Old Covenant. It was a whole lot of sacrifices and religious activities and, you know, feasts and stuff that were to get people back to God again. And when they drifted off, they were to get back again and things happened. And, and that's how the system was. Jesus came to bring a new covenant. It's a new way of relating to God. It's a new way of developing that relationship. In fact, we just celebrated Easter. That's what's one really crucial about Easter. Good Friday is not just the fact that Jesus saved you from your sin. That is big enough. But Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, was the time an old covenant was changed to a new covenant. Book of Hebrews says, for there to be a new covenant or a new testament, there has to be the shedding of blood. And in the death of Jesus, things changed. But here's the tricky thing for Jesus, because he lived in this period of transition. He lived, before he died, he lived in this time where the old covenant was still in existence, but he was pointing people to a new way of living. And you would know, if you've ever led anything in transition, you know that when to lead in transition is a very difficult thing. And for Jesus, it was a very difficult thing to live in old covenant times, still, 
but to point people towards a new covenant which would come into existence at his death. It's, a, it, it's kind of, that caused you great grief, caused him great grief, by the way. But Good Friday was good, really good Friday because it's, it led us into a new place. It led us into a new relationship, a new relationship with God. Scriptures say, in Christ you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And one of the traps for us as people who follow Jesus is we try to live in both covenants. We try to live in both. For example, we say, if, if we can just get good enough, and then grace can kick in. No, 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 no. Grace kicks in. It's a new covenant now. That's what Jesus promised us. That's what he said. We need to ensure we're living in a new covenant world. And now we have the permanent presence of Jesus living in us, in the person of his spirit. That's amazing when you think about it. Sometimes we think of the the spirit of God as some sort of floating force out there somewhere who has to be coaxed to us. We sometimes do that when it comes to worship. We think he's out and we have to coax him in with our singing. No, we don't. He dwells within. Let me read to you. When not long after the crucifixion and the resurrection and when the apostle Peter was preaching and he came across a a group of people in Jerusalem who were kind of uh, come to a place of contrition. They knew that something had gone wrong. And Peter's preaching to them and saying, well, it went wrong because we all went wrong. And we all caused him his death. And then we read this. You'll see it up on the screen in Acts chapter 2. Peter comes to this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's when that contrition comes and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a transaction that happens when God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Even before Peter spoke that, Jesus said some similar things. Way back in John 14, you read this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you, Jesus says, in the person of my Spirit. You now have the permanent presence of Jesus living in you. That starts to build momentum when you understand that. Jesus said another time, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, not outside them, from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, by whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. You see, the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, when it comes to the personal presence of God with you or in you, is that in the old covenant, the Spirit of God often came upon people for a purpose. People were anointed for a purpose, to be a king, to be a prophet, and even to be a priest. 
The Spirit of God came on them, and came on them for a time even. In the new covenant, it changes. The Spirit of God doesn't come on you for a purpose. He dwells within you now. That's the difference. That's where momentum comes from. It takes away any confusion. It takes away any uncertainty. Jesus lives in you in the person of his spirit now if you're a follower of Jesus. That's the beginning of momentum. You need to understand we're living a new covenant faith. And why that's important is because we still sometimes act and believe we're living in an old covenant faith, whether we like it or not. It's, it's very different. It makes it different to many areas. I could, I, could, I could tell you many areas. We sometimes feel like the Holy Spirit is swirling around in the atmosphere and, and God some sort of has to be coaxed or teased to be in our life. That, that God is in heaven somewhere or somewhere standing with a big jug pouring his spirit out and saying, I'm going to pour it out for you and I'm going to pour it out for you and I'm going to pour it out for you. That's not what it's about. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will be in you. Now you have rivers of living water flowing from within you, flowing out, making a difference in the world in which you live. There are huge implications of that. You know, um, let me just mention a couple. There's heaps of them, but mention a couple of implications. The difference between the old and the new. For example, in the old, this would be called the house of God. In the new, this is a building where the people of God filled with the Spirit of God worship the true God. That's what you are. That's who you are. It makes a difference to us. It makes a difference to our, to our giving, by the way, if we're new, co- new covenant people. The principle in the old covenant is the, the action is the tithe and the principle behind that is to give to the poor, bring a tithe into the storehouse, which was to be given to the poor. That's the, that's the old covenant principle. You bring it in there and you make that difference. That's, that's what it's about. In the, in the new covenant, the action is proportionate giving. It's giving in proportion to our income. That's what the action is. But the motivation now is generosity. It's generosity across the board. It's a spirit of generosity that makes that difference. It's not sort of rule or law like it was in the Old Testament. Well, that's important. I know people, I've met people who, who tell me they're really generous because they, they tithe. They wouldn't buy you a cup of coffee. They wouldn't shout you a bus ticket or a meal. But we're generous because we tithe. No, when you're generous, you give abundantly. That's new, that's new covenant. Old covenant is I give like this here and that's it and the rest of it doesn't matter. I'll make a distinction. No, no, when you're generous, you're generous across the whole board. That's the difference it makes. It's important. Scripture says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, you, give to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If the spirit of God lives in you, it makes all the difference to your life. Ensure you're living a new covenant life, a new covenant world. It's important that we say that. If I were to ask you the question, um, when did the Spirit of God come into this building this morning? I don't know how you'd answer that. But my answer would be this. The Spirit of God entered this building this morning 
with the very first Christ follower who walked in. I don't know whether it's the music people who set up or whether it's somebody who sets up the chairs and does the logistics. I don't know, but the very first person who walked into this building this morning as a Christ follower, the Spirit of God came to this building. That's the truth. As I said, sometimes we think we have to somehow coax the Spirit of God down to us. That's not a new covenant thinking. That doesn't help momentum at all because you're never quite sure if we sing louder, is the Spirit there or not there? You know, you're all in this, and that's so subjective. We need to make sure we live in this new covenant world. Second thought is this. I have three thoughts. I have more than that, but three this morning. <laughs> it's always good to tell people how many thoughts you've got because they know when you're really getting through it. You know, they, they know if you get, after two, it's getting good, you know, because we're nearly to three. This is two. Stop looking for momentum elsewhere. Momentum is within. We, we're great at this. We love looking for momentum other places. The move of God is somewhere else. If only God was moving like he was moving somewhere else, doing it there. I, I pastored churches for 30 years and there were times in my, in my uh, ministry where I kind of felt that my spiritual GPS was crooked because it always seemed the Spirit of God was working somewhere else when I was working here. I knew I wanted to work with the Spirit of God and with the Spirit of God, but it always seemed to be somewhere else. And it seems that, you know, wherever it was, I, I could have, you know, when I looked through the years and I was working hard in Australia in ministry, it seemed like the move of God was somewhere else. The move of God was in California, way back in the vineyard, Wimber days. That's where the move of God was. Or I was working here in Australia and now it's in Toronto. Now the move of God's in Pensacola. Now the move of God's in Chicago. Now the move of God's in somewhere else, in Northern California. And you get this feeling that, you know, the move of God is where you aren't. That's a bizarre thing, really, when you think about it. The move of God is where you are. And I, I, look, God is doing some great things and we should learn who, whatever we can from wherever we can. But there's not one move of God at any time. There are millions of moves of God. And they're in you. And they're in me. God moves in us by his spirit, the permanent presence of Jesus who is living within you and within me. And, you know, sometimes it's just kind of, uh, we, we, we feel like, no, nah, God's somewhere else. Or you look at another church down the road even, it might be closer. GPS isn't quite as bad, but it's still off. You look at another, gee, it's, God's working, he's moving in that church, but he's not moving in this one. There's not one move of God, by the way. There's millions of moves of God. There's not one move of God. You are the move of God in Launceston with lots of other people. You're the move of God. God has momentum in you. He has the permanent presence of Jesus in you. He's within you. There's not one move of God. There's many. I, uh, I've been in many prayer meetings where we've prayed for revival. And that's not a bad thing to do, by the way to pray for revival. But we, what we're praying for, I've got to be honest with you, in 43 years as a follower of Jesus, 
In 40, I'm not sure I've seen what people are praying for. You know, people are praying for a, a visitation from heaven, a, a sort of a heaven, you know, on earth. And, and it's as if we believe there's something greater in heaven than Jesus. If you believe there's something greater in heaven than Jesus, you're in trouble. Jesus is the greatest person, entity in heaven. He's been, he's imparted into you his permanent presence by his spirit. Revival is in you. Revival's first and foremost in you. The trouble when we pray for revival sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, is it puts us in passive mode. We sit back, we're comfortable, and we're just waiting for God to do something. And God has done something. And he says, movement's in you. There's momentum built inside you. You are the move of God. The third thing I want to say is this. You are more important. This may sound a little strange. Realise that you're more important in the work of God and his momentum in you than you think. You're more important in the momentum of the work of God in you than you think. Far more important than you think. It's not just about what God does in you, but you have a part to play and a big part to play. When, here this morning, in this room, right now you are hearing two voices. You hear what I say to you, but you also hear what you say to you about what I say to you. And the second voice is far more weighty than the first one, I've got to tell you. I might say something from here and you say, I'm not sure if that's right. Or you, you say, oh yeah, amen. Or you say, yeah, look, I'm sure that bit might be, but that bit's not. Or you might say, I'm going to bail him up afterwards and talk to him about that. You, what you say about what I say to you is far more weighty than what I say to you. And here's the deal. You and I do the same thing with God. We hear what God says to us, but we also, when God speaks, he says something to us. But we also, it's what, what's important is what we say to us about God, what God says to us. And that is still more weighty. We wish it wasn't. And we hope it's not. And if there's a congruence between the two, that's great. But what we say to us about what God says to us has more weight for us than just what God says to us. We don't like to think so. God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you say, that's not a bad thought, God, but you don't know my enemies. You don't know how tough it is the way I live. I'm not going to quite love them the way you want me to love them. See, what you say about what God says is more weighty than what God says. We hope and pray there's a congruence. We hope and pray they're the same. That's fantastic. But honestly, you hear two voices. So what you do with what is said to you, what you do is, is, is more important than you think it is. It's not just what you read or what, you, what someone says in a sermon or what's, whatever that. It's what you say about what's said from God, from others, etc. You have much more of a part to play than you think you do. Let me... I want to give you an illustration of that um, from the Scriptures of how 
we have more of a part to play than we think we do in this whole faith momentum journey with Jesus. It's a story way back in Luke chapter 7 where there's a Roman soldier, he's a centurion, and he's, he's got a servant who is terminally ill. And he knows of Jesus, he's heard of Jesus, he knows some of the things that Jesus has done because he's done some extraordinary things already. He's obviously you know, quite a God-fearing sort of man because he's got, he knows he's quite good friends with the Jewish elders. He's a Roman, but he's quite good friends. And he sends the, Rome, the Jewish elders off to talk to Jesus and say, can you get Jesus to come and heal my servant who's terminally ill? So the elders take off and Jesus, we don't know how far away he is. He's a reasonable way away and he he comes, and you know, when, at that stage in ministry, when Jesus comes anywhere, there's an entourage following him. So they're on the way to this centurion's house, and it says while he's still a way off, not too far, it says he's quite close, but he's nowhere near the house yet. The centurion sends some friends of his out to say to Jesus, stop, don't come. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. And that's an extraordinary thing. Just, just say the word. He says, oh, you know, I'm a man under authority and you're a man under authority and we understand each other. Just say the word and you'll be healed. And Jesus turns to his entourage and he says these words. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The question I've puzzled a bit with this is, how does, why is there such great faith when Jesus has already seen incredible faith? If you read Luke's Gospel up to that point, you'll see him, he's healed lepers, he's cast out demons, there's a, four friends who brought a man down and dropped him down through a roof so that Jesus would heal them. The crowd was so big. So he's already done extraordinary, wonderful things, powerful things. And yet now Jesus takes this moment to turn to the entourage of people following him and said, I've never seen, this is the greatest faith. I'm amazed by this faith. This is the greatest faith I've seen in all of Israel. And yet you've already seen some tremendous things happen. And I, I spent a few weeks thinking about this passage, just thinking, what, why was it so great? What was so amazing about this passage? What was so amazing about this event which caused Jesus to say, I've never seen faith like this before when he's healed some, done some tremendous things? Here's what I think. This is the first time someone has trusted Jesus to do something miraculous when he wasn't there in person. That's why it's really important for us because Jesus is not here in person sits at the right hand of the Father right now. But he lives in you by the presence of his Spirit. This is the first time someone has trusted Jesus to do something when he wasn't physically present alongside to do it. In other words, here's the first time someone has trusted Jesus to do something that no one else had trusted him for. That's an amazing thought. First time. And here's the disturbing thing for, as I think about this passage, that Jesus, even though he knew he could do that, was still on his way to do it. Because it's almost as if, well, that's what they trust me for, I'm going to do it. 
But what's exciting now is that there's a man who trusts me to do something and I didn't have to be there. In other words, he trusted me to do something more than anyone's trusted me to do before. And I think to myself, how many times do I restrict God to certain levels of supernatural intervention, but not to what he could do? Does that make sense? I could trust God to do that because everyone trusts God to do that. But wow, he can do this. It's amazing. Who would have thought, for example, that God would heal people who simply stood in Peter's shadow? Who thought that up? God didn't think that up. People thought that up. And God honoured it. It's extraordinary, really. Who would have thought God would heal people because they touched Paul's handkerchief? God didn't make, that's not a, that's not a God doctrine. It's not the, you know, the, the doctrine of hankies. God did, people thought that up. If I can only do that, then God will heal. Didn't hear that, but I'll get it later. See, you are more you have more to do with the momentum of God in your life than you think you do. Than you think you do. God is extraordinary. He's amazing. He can do all that. It's not presumption. It's not name it and claim it. It's just trusting God in ways that maybe we haven't trusted him before. We, th- this year, I know for you as a church, you will have opportunities and you will have obstacles just the way it is. I know the devil loves to destroy momentum. He may not destroy our faith, but he can destroy the rhythm of our faith. He can destroy the momentum of our faith. He loves to do that. One of his great techniques to do that. He will derail your rhythm. So I want us to think today and be just amazed that Ensure you are living a new covenant life and you know you have the permanent presence of Jesus in you by the person of his spirit because Jesus is momentum. I want you to stop looking for momentum somewhere else because it's in you. The move of God is in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, the move of God is in you and realise that you are more important in the work of God in his momentum in you than you think. I want to just show one last scripture. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3. I think we've got it up there. Now to him who's able to, we love the scripture by the way, now to him who's able to do a measure more than all we ask or imagine. We stop there and we go, yeah, God can do everything, everything bigger than my dreams, bigger than I can imagine. Look what it says next. According to his power is that is at work within us. God's able to do amazing things and extraordinary things according to his power at work in us. Not floating around somewhere. In us. God has given you momentum in your life. I want to just say, they're the three thoughts. I haven't got a fourth. It's the three. I want to say this before I pray this morning and invite you to Maybe you're here this morning and you've lost a bit of momentum in your faith. Maybe you're a bit stuck. 
Maybe you're kind of, you know, it's the flywheel goes a certain way or maybe the, the intermission between experiences of God is so wide and distant that, you know, you wonder if God's really there. Maybe you've just lost some momentum in your faith or maybe you're just stuck somewhere along the way. I want to pray for you this morning if that's you. And I, look, I'm just going to ask you to do something. It's not weird, but it's just, if you're here this morning, I don't want to ask you, not asking you to come out or do any of that, but if you're here this morning and you've lost a bit of momentum in your faith or you feel a bit stuck, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to stand up where you are. I'm going to pray for you from here. I'm not going to ask any, anything weird of you. But if you're stuck, would you do that right now? If you've got a bit of a, you need help with momentum somewhere on the line in your faith, just, just stand where you are. I know it takes a bit of guts and a bit of courage, but God is so concerned about you, so concerned about the life you live and the way you live it. Let me pray with you, for you. Thank you. Father, I want to thank you and praise you that you're the great God, that if we come to follow your son Jesus, the promise is that he will live permanently in us, in the person of your spirit. And Father, I want to thank you for the courage of people who stood this morning who said, you know, I've just lost a little momentum in my faith. I'm a little stuck. It's a little far between experiences of God. It's a little distant sometimes. Father, I, uh, I would pray for each one. I pray that you will give each one confidence to know that you dwell within them. As they trust you, you dwell within them. You're not distant. You don't have to be coaxed in. They don't have to compare themselves with someone else. I just pray that you'll give them freedom from that and the capacity to know you are there. And Father, I pray for the infusion of your Spirit in each one this morning, that they will know that the filling of the Spirit is not you kind of coming in in drips and drabs, but it's us allowing you to fill us from within. Father, I just pray for each person who stood here this morning, you'll give them a new confidence, a new freedom, a new boldness, a new life and a new understanding that you're the God of all creation. You dwell in them. Thank you, Lord. Bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you all to stand and join them? We're going to sing. But before I do that, and uh, you know, I do come as the uh, CEO of Compassion, and I know Karen's out in the stall in the in the foyer and Here's the good news. The good news is not just you, but you can make a difference in the momentum of a child living in poverty because the momentum for that child without the difference you make, and many of you are doing that, momentum is that they will just flow into hopelessness, they will just flow into despair, they will lose dignity and everything. And out on the table, we have a few, I know this church sponsors many, many. There's a few more that Karen has out on the table and you can change the momentum of that child forever, forever. I want to encourage you to rush her at that table, to not bowl her over, that's terrible, but bombard her with your presence. And so I want to make a difference in the momentum of a life of a child, and you can do it. They'll be out in that table. Hey, thanks for the opportunity to be here and bless you as a church. Keep going. Keep doing what God has you in store for you to do. Amen.